0: Chapter Ten of The Pod Hunters by P. G. Woodhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matriaria Eighteen. The Pod Hunters by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter Ten. Mister Thompson investigates the pavilion burglary was discussed in other places besides charteris's study in the master's common room the matter came in for its full share of comment. the masters were as at most schools divided into the athletic and non-athletic and it was for the former class that the matter possessed most interest if it had been that apple of the college library's eye the original missus of st austin's private diary or even that lesser treasure the black-letter eucalyptids that had disappeared, the elder portion of the staff would have had a great deal to say upon the subject. But, apart from the excitement caused by the strangeness of such an occurrence, the theft of a couple of sports prizes had little interest for them. On the borderline between these two casts came Mr. Thompson, the master of the sixth form, spelled with a P and no relation to the genial James, or the amiable Alan, with the former of whom, indeed, he was on very indifferent terms of friendship. Mr. Thompson, though an excellent classic, had no knowledge of the inwardness of the human boy. He expected every member of his form not only to be earnest, which very few members of a sixth form are, but also to communicate his innermost thoughts to him. His aim was to be their confidant, The wise friend to whom they were to bring their troubles and come for advice. He was, in fact, poor man, the good young master. Now, it is generally the case at school that troubles are things to be worried through alone, and any attempt at interference is usually resented. Mr. Thompson had asked Jim to tea, and while in the very act of passing him the muffins, had embarked on a sort of unofficial sermon, winding up by inviting confidences. Jim had naturally been first flippant, and then rude, and relations had been strained ever since. "'It must have been a professional,' alleged Perkins, the master of the upper fourth. "'If it hadn't been for the fact of the money having been stolen as well as the cups, I should have put it down to one of our fellows.' "'My dear Perkins,' expostulated Mary Valli. "'my dear Mary Valley my entire form is capable of any crime except the theft of money a boy might have taken the cups for a joke or just for the excitement of the thing meaning to return them in time for the sports but the 2 pounds knocks that on the head it must have been a professional i always said that the pavilion was a very unsafe place in which to keep anything of value said mr thompson you were profoundly right thompson replied porkins you deserve a diploma this business is rather in your line, Thompson, said "Merry Valley, You must bring your powers to bear on the subject and scent out the criminal. Mr. Thompson took a keen pride in his powers of observation. He would frequently observe, like the lamented Sherlock Holmes, the vital necessity of taking notice of trifles. The daily life of a sixth-form master at a big public school does not afford much scope for the practice of the detective art. But Mr. Thompson had once detected a piece of cripping when correcting some Latin proses for the master of the lower third, solely by the exercise of his powers of observation, and he had never forgotten it. He burned to add another scalp to his collection, and this pavilion burglary seemed peculiarly suited to his talents. He had given the matter his attention, and, as far as he could see, everything pointed to the fact that skilled hands had been at work. From eleven until half past twelve that day, the six were doing an unseen examination under the eye of the headmaster, and Mr. Thompson was consequently off duty. He took advantage of this to stroll down to the pavilion and make a personal inspection of the first room, from which what were left of the prizes had long been removed to a place of safety. He was making his way to the place where the groundman was usually to be found, with a view to obtaining the keys when he noticed that the door was already open, an going titter he came upon Biffen, the ground man, in earnest conversation with the stranger. Morning, sir, said the ground man. He was on speaking terms with most of the masters and all the boys. Then to his companion, this is Mr. Thompson, one of our masters. Morning, sir, said the latter. Weather keeps up. I'm Inspector Roberts, Scotland Yard. But at Think we're in for rain soon. Yes, afraid so. Been asked to look into this business, Mr. Thompson. Queer business. Very. Might I ask? I'm very interested in this kind of thing. Whether you have arrived at any conclusions yet? The detective eyed him thoughtfully, as if he were hunting for the answer to a riddle. No, not yet. Nothing definite. I presume you take it for granted it was the work of a professional burglar. No, no. Take nothing for granted. Great mistake. Prejudices, one way or other, great mistake. But I think, yes, I think it was probably, almost certainly, not done by a professional. Mr. Thompson looked rather blank at this. It shook his confidence in his powers of deduction. But, he expostulated, surely no one but a practiced burglar would have taken a pane of glass out so er neatly inspector roberts rubbed a finger thoughtfully round the place where the glass had been then he withdrew it and showed a small cut from which the blood was beginning to drip do you notice anything peculiar about that cut he inquired mr thompson did not nor did the ground man look carefully now do you see no well it's not a clean cut ragged very ragged Now. If a professional had cut that pane out, he wouldn't have left it jagged like that. No, he would have used diamond. Done the job neatly. This destroyed another of Mr. Thompson's premises. He had taken it for granted that a diamond had been used. Oh, he said, was that pane not cut by a diamond? What did the burglar use then? No, no diamond. Diamond would have left smooth surface, smooth as a razor edge. This is like a saw. Amateurish work. Can't say for certain, but probably done with a chisel. With a chisel? Surely not? Yes, probably with a chisel. Probably the man knocked the pane out with one blow, then removed all the glass so as to make it look like the work of an old hand. Very good idea, but amateurish. I am told that three cups have been taken. Could you tell me how long they had been in the pavilion? mr thompson considered well he said of course it's difficult to remember exactly but i think they were placed there soon after one o'clock the day before yesterday ah and the robbery took place yesterday in the early morning or the night before yes is the pavilion the usual place to keep the prizes for the sports no it is not they were only put there temporarily the boardroom where they are usually kept and which is in the main buildings of the school, happened to be needed until the next day. Most of us were very much against leaving them in the pavilion, but it was thought that no harm could come to them if they were removed next day. But they were removed that night, which made a great difference, said Mr. Roberts, chuckling at his mild joke. I see. Then I suppose none outside the school knew that they were not in their proper place? I imagine not. Just so knocks the idea of professional work on the head. None of the regular trade can have known this room held so much silver for one night. No regular would look twice at a cricket pavilion under ordinary circumstances. Therefore, it must have been somebody who had something to do with the school, one of the boys, perhaps. Really, I do not think that probable. You can't tell, never does to form hasty conclusions. Boy might have done it for many reasons some boys would have done it for the sake of the excitement that perhaps is the least possible explanation but you get boy kleptomaniacs just as much in proportion as grown-up kleptomaniacs i knew a man had a son couldn't keep him away from anything valuable had to take him away in a hurry from three schools good schools too really what became of him he did not come to us i suppose no somebody advised the father to send him to one of those north-county schools where they flog great success stole some money got flogged instead of expelled did it again with the same result gradually got tired of it reformed character now i don't say it as a boy mind you most probably not only say it maybe all the while he was talking his eyes were moving restlessly round the room he came to the window through which jim had effected his entrance and paused before the broken pane. I suppose he tried that window first, before going round to the other, hazarded Mr. Thompson. Yes, most probably, broke it, and then remembered that anyone at the windows of the boarding-houses might see him, so left his job half done, and shifted his point of action. I think so, yes. He moved on again, till he came to the other window. Then he gave went to an excited exclamation and picked up a piece of caked mud from the sill as carefully as if it were some fragile treasure now see this he said this was wet when the robbery was done the man brought it in with him on his boot left it on the sill as he climbed in got out in a hurry startled by something you can see he was startled and left in a hurry from the different values of the cups he took and as he was going put his hand on this left a clear impression good as plaster of paris very nearly mr thompson looked at the piece of mud and there sure enough was the distinct imprint of the palm of a hand he could see the larger of the lines quite clearly and under a magnifying glass there was no doubt that more could be revealed he drew in a long breath of satisfaction and excitement yes said the detective That piece of mud couldn't prove anything by itself, but bring it up at the end of a long string of evidence, and if it fits your man, it convicts him as much as a snapshot photograph would. Morning, sir. I must be going. And he retired, carrying the piece of mud in his hand, leaving Mr. Thompson in the full grip of the detective fever, hunting with might and main for more clues. After some time, however, he was reluctantly compelled to give up the search for the bell rang for dinner, and he always lunched, as did many of the masters, in the great hall. During the course of the meal, he exercised his brains without pause in the effort to discover a fitting suspect. Did he know of any victim of kleptomania in the school? No, he was sorry to say he did not. Was anybody in urgent need of money? He could not say. Very probably yes, but he had no means of knowing. After lunch, he went back to the common room. There was a letter lying on the table. He picked it up. It was addressed to J. Thompson, St. Austin's. Now, Mr. Thompson's Christian name was John. He did not notice the omission of the P until he had opened the envelope and caught a glimpse of the contents. The letter was so short that only a glimpse was needed, and it was not till he had read the whole that he realized that it was somebody else's letter that he had opened. This was the letter Dear Jim, frantic haste, can you let me have that two pounds directly you come back? Beg, borrow, or steal it. I simply must have it. Yours ever Allen End of Chapter ten Mr Thompson Investigates Recording by Arya eighteen